story of the Bible, we uh, encounter Christ in some form or fashion. In the Old Testament, we see the grace that is offered in Christ, and uh, I guess that's good enough. And um, so now we're going to look at the scripture as Paul is dealing with the early church and how do we handle controversy. We're in the middle of controversy right now, by the way, in our denomination. Uh, but we're not going to talk about that today. We're just going to say that we can understand to some degree because there's never been a time in our religious history in America uh, just like this. We are in most, just the most, uh, just idea of controversy from denomination to denomination. People are changing and thinking of God in different ways. So let's look at the teachings of the scripture. The first verse helps us to understand what this is all about. He says, he, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now what that means is that Christ is the only son of God, and God gave his son, we know from John 3, 16, and here he is laying down the groundwork of understanding Christ not just as a historic figure, but as a spiritual head of creation. So he is the firstborn of all creation. Now we have to unfold that a little bit because as of this point, the people in the early church are agreeing with what Paul is saying because they have started thinking of Jesus in terms of like Roman deities, that they're detached from humanity. They don't understand what we're going through. So let's go through the second verse. And in, uh, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created. Things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. Now he takes it even further. And he says that Jesus isn't just the firstborn of the creation. He is the reason for the creation. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a young child, when I pictured God, I pictured, uh, well, an older man with a gray beard sitting on the throne. When I picture Jesus, I picture this uh, taller, younger man who's very strong looking and he's got these eyes that just pierce through the person and I have these images. Well, here Paul is helping the early church to now see Christ as he truly is. Christ is the reason for the creation. Now, now we have to look at that for a moment. That means that every star that has been put into the sky and every planet that revolves around those stars and all the things that are taking place here on this planet, everything is for Jesus. When I dealt with God as a young child, I thought of God in these terms of being about law and rule and authority. But when I dealt with Jesus, there were more matters of the heart more matters of relationship. And as a very young boy, I developed a very close relationship with the Jesus that I could see in the sense of the Jesus here, the Jesus that is visible, and at times the Jesus that is invisible. So Christ is the reason for the creation. That's, that's very important as a Christian to understand this. Because if you understand this one point, Everything else falls into place. Everything else uh, suddenly makes sense. So let's take it one more step. Paul is taking here in the 17th verse. 
For he himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So not only is Jesus a part of this creation, Jesus was there before this creation, which the heresy was saying he wasn't. So now Paul is directly uh, facing up to these people trying to teach about Jesus in the wrong way. And he says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I can tell you right now in life, there will be times that things come apart. You ever had things come apart a day, you wake up and everything is falling to pieces? Christ always brings it back together. Say a prayer in the name of Jesus. Speak a word to Christ, and I guarantee you by the word of the gospel, Christ will bring the pieces back together and make it whole again. No matter if it is the life we live or the worries we have, our Jesus is big enough, he is great enough, he is powerful enough to bring all things together and not only bring them together, but then hold them together. Because what's happening is that in this motion of the postmodern world, things are being pulled apart. The things that are being pulled apart include family, include identity, include the way we have society. Yesterday, I know some of you watched on CBS, they did the actual uh, simulation, well, it wasn't a simulation, it was the video with Walter Cronkite of the moon when they went to the moon. And it showed that Saturn uh, you know, rocket blasting off. And I told you last Sunday of how I was a young boy in front of that you know, black and white TV. And by the way, it wasn't black and white. <laughs> the, uh, so it didn't make any difference. But it was amazing. They were showing that rocket and that large rocket's going up there. And we're watching that. And, and, and see, here's the thing that you may not know from the history books, even though there's other parts of the story. This was at a bad time in America. Because Martin Luther King, was, uh, he was assassinated that year. And Robert Kennedy was assassinated that year. And there were riots in the streets of the major cities. And there was controversy everywhere. In fact, um, I had started school that year. And I remember uh, my family got into a fight with another family on the bus on the first day of school. And we all got bloody and beat up and every, everybody, everybody on the bus. It was an open warfare. I don't know what started it. I just know that I jumped in. I was a little kid, very little kid. And I just started frailing. I didn't care who I hit or what I hit. I was in a fight. And so my whole education started out in a controversy. And it ended up in the principal's office with everybody off the bus. It, it was just a bad year. People were arguing, they were fighting, things were coming apart, and then suddenly this, this moonshot where we go and we land on the moon becomes the only really good news that came out in 1969. This wonderful event that transformed our world to a new world that even now our kids have a vacation Bible school about going to Mars and no one has a temper tantrum about it. <laughs> Because a few years ago, if we'd have had that as a theme of Vacation Bible School, I would have been called about it and been, people would have been complaining, why are you putting that stuff in church for? Now we accept that we're in a new day. But even in this day, there's still reason and purpose. There's still hope. There can be sense made out of the chaos. And Jesus 
is what's holding it together. See, I told you, if you understand it's created for him, then it becomes not our problems, it's his problem. And our Jesus can handle it. Our Jesus is great enough that no matter what the trouble is, he can overcome it. Let's go on to the next verse. He is the head of the body of the church. Now, Paul described the church, where we are right now, as a body. And it has hands and feet, but the head of the body is Jesus. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That means he resurrected from the dead. He's conquered death so that he might come to have first place in everything. And there we get to the problem. There we get to why people are a mess. (laughs) Because people don't like to lose, do they? Oh, my goodness gracious. How many NFL teams are there, Brad? What, they're 28, 30? I don't know. Is it 28 maybe? There's a bunch of them. And, and uh, I said, how many winners are there every year? One. How many losers are there? Uh, well, <laughs> so how many, 31? I don't even know how many teams there are. And see, we know that from basketball. There's either Carolina or Duke and uh, maybe State on occasion. And then Virginia finally this past year. See, see, we don't like to lose. And that's the issue right here, so that he might come to have first place in everything, just in everything. Have you ever been to a competition where there was one person who won everything? You know, they had all the trophies. They were gathered around. Oh, my Lord, Wendy Bird was that way in high school. Some of you may know who Wendy Bird is. I don't know if you do or not. I know Miss Kathy does. She won everything. She was so smart. I won't point at anybody in here who did that, but somebody did. I won't say who it is. But they did this win everything. They got every trophy. They got a trophy case. They're number one. No matter what you do, you're going to come in second. No matter how hard you try, well, quit trying to beat Jesus. Quit trying to beat Jesus and quit trying to ignore Jesus. In other words, let Jesus be Jesus in your life. Let him take the trophy because I tell you right now, the scraps from his table are better than any anywhere else. It's okay Jesus is the Lord of your life and the Lord of your family and the Lord of your work and the Lord of your own self. Christ is Christ and we are not. And that's what's wrong with this world right now. People trying to win everything, including their salvation. And I can tell you right now, you can work hard. You can do everything you think you can do. But only Christ can save that child. Only Jesus is Jesus. Jesus comes in first in everything. And there's nothing wrong with that. Why is it we think it's wrong that Christ is number one? Now you may say, well, what are you talking about, preacher? We're not in competition with Jesus. Oh, my goodness, keep the Sabbath holy. It is the Lord's day. Man, we're not going to come worship Jesus. We're going to do what we want to (laughs) do. Uh, you know where people are? 
They'll wait to the very last moment, then they'll call upon the name of Jesus, or they'll call me as the preacher and say, do something about it. And I'm going, where were you a week ago when the Lord asked you to answer, and you didn't answer his call? But I never say that, of course, because I'm a courteous and kind preacher who's very uh, just humble in that way. But I tell you, it's usually better to do it beforehand because Jesus is busy. He's very busy. He's got to deal with a lot of people and a lot of problems and a lot of things that are happening in heaven and on earth. He is dealing with things we can't even imagine. So he is coming in first place in everything. So let's go to the next verse. Now that we established he's number one. He's number one. He's number one. Which makes us not number one. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And that's why we have Jesus. Is that Jesus is God's presence that we can connect to here where we are in this life. It's, it's hard to connect. King on a throne with a big white beard who's authoritative and will instantly strike you dead if you step one way out of line. We see God the Father in terms of strength and power and authority, but a relational Jesus is the one we turn to in those times that we need a personal Lord and Savior. We need a Savior. We need someone who knows, and who knows better than the man from Galilee? Who knows better than the Jesus that died for our sins? Who knows better than the Christ that weeps when we hurt and who laughs when we're happy? Who knows better than a real Jesus? For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Our Christ is able and willing to be our Savior. He wants to be our Savior. We just want and need to be saved. We need to reach out to him. Let's go to the next verse. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. Now, we have to unfold this because this really is the crowning jewel of the scripture to the early church. It is telling them now that we got the priority straight and we know that Jesus is number one and it's not about you and your problems and quit being a drama person and start looking at the reality of your life. You need a Savior, accept the Savior, and then live with the Savior and abide in the Savior. Know that through Him, God has reconciled to Himself all things. God has made whole again what is broken. And there is something broken. It wasn't just 1969. In that bad year that we had that one amazing event that transformed the life and the world that we live in. In fact, my generation, those born 1960 to 65, I was born in 62, we're called Zoomers. Zoomers. Uh, if you're born before that in the age right after the Second War, you're called a boomer. You've heard of the baby boom generation had the great second war, the soldiers came home, families were built, homes were built, there was a large population explosion happening in America, it's called the baby boom, some of you are baby boomers, 
Well, I'm the tail end of the baby boom. I'm the end of it in those few short years at the very end of it called Zoomers. And the reason we're called Zoomers is we saw Zoom. We saw the rockets take off and we saw the walk on the moon. We're a generation, by the way, that includes Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and the founders and creators of the internet. That's my generation. Welcome. I helped create the internet. There we go. Um, I didn't really help create the internet. Um, but those around me did. They created a world now that is interconnected, but even with all this connection we still can't reconcile the broken world. You would think through Facebook we could fix problems, right? I mean, Facebook is communication. It's a way to share a pretty picture when you're standing by the waterfall and you can tell all the world there's birds singing and you're happy. And then five people down in the comments say, that's an ugly waterfall, you have a terrible looking hairdo, or something like that. Instead of Facebook fixing things, guess what it does? It messes things up. You would think communication would, would help us, but it doesn't reconcile. It only becomes more noise amidst the chaos. And the more we become a people who communicate, the more we lose sight of the presence of God. And we don't hear God, we only hear the murmuring and complaining. In other words, there's not reconciliation in the world we live in by the advancements we make or the things we do. We can only be reconciled by Jesus. And it says here, all things. So no matter what the trouble is, even if you get a flat tire, pray to Jesus. Pray to Jesus. Jesus, help me through this. I've got a flat tire. I don't know what to do. And Jesus will say, take your phone, take it out, and make that number, call him. And then Jesus will say, I'll be with you as you are through and in this problem. See, our Lord knows the answer because he is the answer. No matter what the trouble is, if it's trouble with the body, if it's trouble with the mind, if it's trouble with the spirit, if it's trouble with the family, if it's trouble with the nation, if it's trouble with the world, I got to admit, Iran's trying to pick a fight. They seize two British oil tankers. They shoot down an American drone. Trump's about to launch an attack, and then the last hour he calls it off and tells them they made a mistake. They made a mistake. I guess they made a mistake in seizing the two oil tankers too. <laughs> They're like a bully trying to pick a fight. And they think they got reasons to do that because we've embargoed their oil and we froze their money and we uh, have done other things, but it doesn't justify their acts of aggression. But this is not about that. This is about the reality that some things only Christ can fix and really everything only Christ can fix. So he is able to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven. Now let's look at that for a moment. What is the issue of heaven? What is the battle that is going on there? The battle between the forces of good and evil. It is the battle of the principalities and powers. 
understand we're not just in a cosmic battle, we are in a spiritual battle. The devil and his dominions, his evil angels are trying to pull man and humanity down. There's evil that happens every day. There are battles that Jesus is fighting each and every day for us and through us against this evil. And how does he do it? He does it by making peace. That's why I love the hymn that you did. The peace of God is called in Hebrew shalom. The peace that surpasseth all understanding. And the Prince of Peace has made this peace through something that no power anywhere and everywhere can subdue. And that is the power of the blood of the cross. Because the blood of the cross is able to overcome all things. Is able to mend our broken hearts, is able to mend our broken spirits, is able to give us hope when we feel there is no hope. Sisters and brothers, I know, I know it's, it's one thing to ask for a relationship with a God who is the creator, but I know it's another thing to ask for a relationship with Jesus. But I asked you in your hearts to search out the truth. I asked you to look for Christ in the things that are happening and the things that uh, are unfolding in your life. I love that, you know, that great hymn, when we see Jesus, it's coming in glory. When he comes from his home in the sky, it continues how we'll meet him and We'll know better, you know, by and by. See, I, I want to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. When I get to the golden strand on that heavenly city, though I love my mother and my father, though I love my sister and my family, though I love the people I've known in church throughout the years, and I love you, the first one I'm running to is what Mary did, I'm running to Jesus. I'm not running to the throne. <laughs> God can hold off a minute because I got to see the man. I want to see him. I want to see Jesus. And when I get there, I'm not going to stand in his presence and say, it's good to see you. <laughs> Though that's a very southern thing to do, and it is a one of great hospitality. I'm just going to fall down on my knees and listen to him in his voice. In fact, the scripture we're looking at in uh, so Colossians, first chapter, most scholars believe it's actually a hymn. And I was going to sing it for you, but uh, I thought better than that because I was standing over here by Mr. Johnny and he would just fall down or something. He would. I could try it and Mr. Johnny could put his fingers in his ears like that. But the scholars think it was a hymn. And I was trying to figure out what tune is it to, Mr. Johnny, if you look at this first Colossians, you know, first chapter, uh, verses 15 through 20. And I think it's Amazing Grace. Because I started singing it to Amazing Grace. And as I sung it, the words were making sense. They were fitting together. And they believe that Paul is writing to the early church using a song about this scripture. So in the earliest moments of our church and the growth with Jesus as the head of the body, we're learning that Jesus
Jesus is the firstborn. Let us pray. Dear Lord, open up our hearts that we may turn completely to you, Christ. Redeem our lives. Lift us up that we may be in your presence. Thank you for this church and this body and let our song be one accord. In Jesus' holy sweet name we pray. Amen.